right, time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Is it me or do, do weekends seem to kind of just whoosh by? That was a very whooshy weekend. I, I just invented a new verb, whooshy. That means it, it goes by quick. All right, we got a good program lined up today. I believe it's February 2nd already? You know what? I hate to say this to y'all, but with it already being February 2nd, Christmas is just around the corner. <laughs> you better start shopping. No. <laughs> yeah, that it, every time I go around the track and, you know, I'm getting older, you know. Every it seems like every time I go around the track, the the lap gets quicker, you know. Unlike when I exercise, when I when I exercise, you know, the first lap is always the impress the ladies lap, and then the second lap is the oh my side is starting to hurt lap, but I can't show that it's hurting because otherwise the ladies I just impressed with my first lap will be laughing at me, laughing. And uh, the third lap is uh, limping, you know, and and holding your side. And uh, there's generally it's like three and a half, not quite four laps, and then by the fourth lap, um, you're you're in the middle of the field going, <gasps> something like that. Well, I think this year takes longer because there's February the thirty uh, second because it's a quadruple leap year. Really? Yeah, yeah. Never heard of such a thing. Did you just invent that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right on. Or if the years seem shorter because it's a light year and the third less calories than the regular year. Right. The light years are third, third less, less calories. calories. Did yeah. you write that one yourself, John? No, that was somebody else's. Okay. That, well, I, props to the person who wrote it. That was clever. <laughs> All right. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is a program that could cause angst or could cause great joy. It just depends on a few things. Uh, angst, if you happen to have a pastor who is uh, shirking his responsibility to preach Christ and him crucified for your sins and has decided to uh, instead drink the seeker-sensitive Kool-Aid in the hopes of being ever so relevant and uh, and is, is shirking his responsibility and decided that it's more important to, to, to teach on self-help topics in the name of you know of reaching out to the the so-called seeker because i mean there's no point in actually sending people out to do evangelism what we're going to do is we're just going to completely retool the church service so the entire church service becomes a place for so-called evangelism i mean that's that's the idea right yeah <clears throat> anyway if your pastor's doing that then this show could cause you consternation because uh, one of the things that we do is we compare what uh, pastors are saying in the pulpit to the Word of God. Uh, major Christian leaders compare what they're saying to the Word of God. And by the way, default mode here is is that it's also your responsibility to compare anything I say to the Word of God. Why? Because, well, the Word of God is the truth. And if something somebody says contradicts the word of God, then that person is not telling you the truth. And uh, in the when it comes to religion, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to spiritual truth claims, um, truth has to be something that's weighed. You just don't take somebody's word for it. If somebody tells you, you know, I've been uh, having conversations with the angel Gabriel. We've been hanging out at Starbucks together, and he happens to like a 
uh, a venti pumpkin spice latte. That's the thing that the angel Gabriel really is into. And we've been chewing about and talking about theology, and he's really concerned that people just don't have enough uh, faith in their dreams and, and visions you know, for the future and that they're being too pessimistic. And what they really need to do is uh, set about you know, finding ways of attaining their goals. Um, I would say you're probably not talking to the angel Gabriel because the angel Gabriel that I know from scripture exalts Christ, you know, as practical and helpful as that other angel Gabriel might be. Uh, that's not the biblical one. And so the Bible is supreme when it comes to truth. And if you contradict it, you be wrong. That includes me. All right. So today we got some good listener email. We're going to, uh, boy, this is. This is not in any particular order at this point because I'm still debating on, on where I want to put uh, put these things in. Uh, Tad Grandstaff from Pine Ridge Church, we talked about him. He uh, won the uh, 2008 Worst Christmas Sermon uh, Award and uh, and is bringing sexy back. He's got a tithe challenge that he's put out on his website. Apparently his, uh, his fledgling megachurch is uh, having financial problems. And let's see here. Uh, the Christian Post has a a devotional. Can I call? Should I call it a devotional? Um, well, they say it's a devotional, but the, it's called "The Power of Imagining" Part Three, and uh, we're going to read from that. Uh, we've got news from Sri Lanka about uh, a law that they're trying to pass there that could effectively shut down all charitable outreaches to the poor. Uh, especially Christian outreach. Um, we're we're going to hopefully read a section from uh, this month's February. We're now we're in February. February's book of the month that we're offering at Pirate Christian Radio. It's Matt Harrison's book called Christ Have Mercy. And I got to tell you, I just recently finished reading this thing, and what a great book. Oh, my. If you've ever wanted to know where the the rubber meets the road as far as works and faith and the works that flow from faith, this is the book to have. Um got to tell you it the thing i love about it is it's not some moralizing law thumping uh, type of uh, of works that this that Matt Harrison is promoting in this book it's these are uh, these are literally good works that flow from the gospel and um wow never seen a better treatment of it an amazingly great book and so I'm going to read a small segment of that today as we're going to be promoting that this week at uh, Pirate Christian, uh, not week, month at Pirate Christian Radio, Matt Harrison's book, Christ Have Mercy. Um, we're also going to, well, if we have time, uh, Family Force 5, I don't know if you all have heard of them. They apparently are a Christian uh, band, and uh, somebody sent them an email asking, how do you become a Christian? And their answer is very interesting. And then we're going to... End off today by listening to Joel Osteen's most recent sermon, Increasing Your Capacity to Receive. Increasing, yeah, that's you heard that right. Increasing your capacity to receive. Apparently, um, you might have a small cup approach to uh, receiving from God. And what you really need to do is, is inherit a bucket mentality or maybe even a barrel or a, a large uh, grain silo mentality. See, because you, God can only give you a things is according to how size the size of the receptor and so we're going to learn how to increase our capacity to receive today because we all know that that's you know a major theme of scripture right john yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah because the bible is just chock full of receptacle size talk <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, hey, hey. Is this good news for those guys that, you know, out by the off-ramp, they're looking for money? Yeah, you know, see, that's the thing. If, they, if they're sitting out there with a cup, they should be sick and st- standing out there with a barrel. Or, you know, or go get one of those, uh, those really large bins, you know, storage bins that you can buy over at Costco. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> Email from Chick. Chick writes. Who? Uh, yeah. from, from Australia? No, she's not from Australia. Oh, no. no. Where's she from? She's, I think, uh, she's from the south. I think she's like in in Georgia or something oh, like that. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> I might even be wrong there. She's gonna be. Real, <laughs> I, I shouldn't have said that because she's gonna sit there and go, "Oh well, I'm not from there." You know what? I could find out in, in the break, but you know, because never mind. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I gotta check Facebook, <laughs> and I and my Facebook emails are piling up. Uh, the last time I checked, I've got. I've got like 41 friend requests and I've got 39 messages sitting in my email box. And you know what happens when that happens to me? I like fritz out. I go, I, 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 I can't go there. What am I going to do? <laughs> anyway, so I, I, I got to go and bite the bullet and, and go uh, accept my new friends and, and uh, catch up on the weeds that are growing in face in my Facebook page. That's a really embarrassing, isn't it? You know, you're, you want to be cutting edge. You want to be right out there with people and show them you're just technologically savvy and you're so cool and you even have a Facebook page, you know. And the problem is is that you, Facebook is a little bit demanding. You know, it wants you to update your status, kind of like Twitter. You know, somebody s- said, I really need to Twitter. And I go, I already talk too much. <laughs> but um, And they said apparently Twitter would be a decent way of, like, promoting Pirate Christian Radio or Fighting for the Faith. The problem is, is it requires you to sit sit down and say, "Okay, right now I'm eating a cheese quesadilla," and then because that's about all that you can put on Twitter. And then, like 15 minutes later, now I have acid indigestion, you know. And then, and then the next thing, I I'm going to the doctor to help me with my pain, you know. It, it, and so we, every little thing, you know, I'm putting the kids to bed now, and I'm thinking, why do I want to Twitter? <laughs> You know, my day would – if I were to Twitter, my my day would sound something like this. Woke up late again. No, I'm kidding. It doesn't. <laughs> um, woke up, sitting down, having a cup of coffee, reading, you know, catching up on my RSS feeds. Jaw just hit floor. You know, such and such a church has decided to do something like this, you know. Um, thinking this would be a good show topic. Uh, mad at myself because now I can't use it as a show topic because it's way over the line. Or, you know, or, or, you know it, 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 would be some, it would be something like that where, you know, because I'm always thinking analytically, I guess. And um, it wouldn't be what, – what would be the fun in that? You, you know what I'm saying? Who wants to read on my life while I'm experiencing in real time? And, and why would I want to type about it all the time? So maybe I'm missing the whole point of Twitter. I mean, folks, if I if I've missed the point of Twitter, please send me an email and explain to me that it it's not demanding. And you know, maybe if if they had voice activated Twitter, you know, work. <laughs> I don't have to type this. Day. You know, honey, what are you doing? Oh, I, I'm I'm getting ready to go to bed, but I got to Twitter that first. Uh, going to bed. <laughs> you know? So. John, you don't sound like somebody who wants to Twitter. No, no. <laughs> You're I, looking at me like I, I've never even had a diary. So <laughs> <laughs> it, that's what it is. It's like Dear Diary. Yeah, it's a, it's a Twitter diary, and everybody can read it. They can subscribe to it. It's like, oh my goodness. And Facebook has a similar thing where you can update your status, and it's like, uh, 
I don't know what to say. It, the, I get I get a, like a writer's block. You know what's what is your status right? Now? I'm alive, breathing. You know, happy about that part. So so your Facebook has honeydews. Honeydews. Yeah yeah, doing honeydew list. <laughs> Fixing, <laughs> fixing pipe in kids' bathroom again. Uh, you know things like that. But it sounds like you know the, your, your Facebook has this thing. All these things they they want you to do. Right. Exactly. So Facebook is its own honeydew. That's right. Okay. And and who's demanding it? It's, it's apparently all this great cloud of witnesses who of people who've asked to become my friends, and I feel like I'm like supremely letting them down because. <laughs> You know, here I've got, you know, I got all these people who've asked to be my friends and they want to know my status. And it's like, oh, man, <laughs> I, I'm not going to ask to be your friend and I don't want to burden you. Well, no, it's not that. It's not that. It's, <laughs> the problem is I let people down that way because I, it's like, you know, it's like I'm on Facebook and I look at, OK, 39 messages and 40 something friend requests. And and I'm supposed to come up with something clever that, you know, because there's some people there are some people who are my friends on Facebook. They have the funniest little status updates. They're actually good at it. You know, and, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, Chris wakes up and I decided not to blow my brains out again. That's my status. No, I'm kidding. I, that, but do you understand what I'm saying? You know, I'm sitting there going, I can't come up with some of these clever things that these people are coming up with. And who wants to read about you know, my gastrointestinal tack or, you know, that I'm... I, I, oh, I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> you are a sick man. <laughs> Sounds like loads of fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, John, you're killing me. <laughs> okay, we're going we're gonna to segue <laughs> back to Chick's email because, oh, man. All right, it says we're... T- <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Okay, okay. You, you you made me break. Okay, that's it. I I'm out of character. <clears throat> All right, uh, dude it says we're talking about the churches mentioned in in the Book of Revelation right now in church. Okay, that's good. He's actually reading a passage. You know, actually reading from the the pa- scripture. Yesterday, the pastor spoke about Revelation chapter two verses eighteen through twenty nine. The church in Thyatira. All right. So what we're gonna do here to help our listeners experience this with Chick because that's important. You know, because isn't that what they say nowadays? It's all about the experience. People want to have a worship experience. So what we want them to do is we want to have a Bible experience right now. So what we're going to actually do is read the passage from Revelation chapter 2, and it's verses 18 through 29. This is Jesus speaking. By the way, he had asked the Apostle John to write these things to different churches. And he says, to the angel or the messenger, the, the, the head of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceeded the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. That's an interesting way of putting it. Jezebel from the Old Testament is really the the queen of idolatresses. Yeah, she's... Out, she's out there, idolatry. She's she's the she's the quintessential evil woman. You think of Jadis from like the Chronicles of Narnia. That's Jezebel. It says you, you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food that's sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her 
will uh, throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. All of the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to whom to him I will give the authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? There we go. So he says, the pastor asked a hypothetical question after apparently reading this passage. He says, he said, suppose I called you up on a Sunday morning and told you that all of your sins would be written on the sanctuary walls. Uh, yikes. Um, every sinful thought, every sinful deed, every, uh, deed, every lie you've ever told, every lustful thought you've ever had would be written on these walls for everyone to see. Now, Chick says, my first thought was, I hope they used a very small font for mine, or they'd never fit all, <laughs> all of them up there, and we have a big sanctuary. Uh, I agree. Man, I, <laughs> it's scary to think that there's some kind of a of eternal bean counter out there keying in on uh, uh, all of the things you've done wrong. Christ knows every little thing. I mean, the Excel spreadsheet would be gigabytes with me. Anyway, he says he would then he then went on to tell us that this is what Jesus knows about us. He told us that if it if that happened, we wouldn't show up for church that day. <laughs> I might move out of state. He said he then talked about Thyra Tyra and what they were up to, and after that he after that he pinned us with our sins, and then he brought the gospel home to us. He said some members have been telling him that he doesn't preach enough about God's love, so he preached about it yesterday. God loves us enough to rebuke us and to warn us of what will happen if we don't turn to him and trust in him and trust in Christ to forgive our sins. I'm going to ask if I can send his sermon to you. I'd, I'd like to, like to, to uh, get, a, get a listen to that. Anyway, um, good email, and I'm glad to hear that uh, you know your pastor... In hearing that he's not not preaching enough about Christ's love, uh, did the law lawfully and then gave the gospel. Remember, the law really is is a servant and a helper to the gospel. And the gospel isn't nearly as sweet as what it really is unless you use the law to nail people to the wall. And that was a good that was a nice image here. Um, if if somebody were to write all of my sins on the wall, man, that would be a really big building with a small font. Uh, might need laser engraving at that point. Uh, but see, that's the whole point. The point of the law is to nail you to the wall. It's not to show you how to earn God's favor or you know do these things, and uh, if you do them, then God's going to smile on you. No, no, no. The purpose of the law is to show you how wretched you are so that you repent, turn to Christ, and trust in him for your salvation. And it's God who gives us the turning. So anyway, great email chick thank you for writing all right and i've got an email here from stephen morris oh, do i know where he's from nope i don't know where he's from but uh stephen writes he says uh, dear mr uh, chris broken nose you know that works 
That's that's the kind of sad thing about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chris Broken knows, uh, your podcast has been a blessing to me, and I particularly appreciate your application of spiritual discernment. While meandering through the Gospel of Luke, as I was uh, cross-referencing some things from your run-through of Mark, I came across rather perplexing instructions given in chapter 10 to someone who asked Jesus how to be saved. Now, this is a great email, by the way. He says, okay, so he said, uh, he actually quotes the passage. It's Luke chapter 10. This is verses 25 through 29. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, now, already the the ability, you know, what, do you, what it is that you need to interpret this passage is already right in front of you. You just have to w- learn and teach yourself how to look for these things. The question is interesting. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a strange question. Um, let, let me ask you this, Steve, before I go on. Uh, let's say that your parents are wealthy. I don't know if they are, but we'll pretend that they are. And, uh, and so you know that upon their death, their demise, um, you, you, you're the sole person who's going to benefit from their estate, from their will. Okay. So you know that you have an inheritance coming. So I'm going to ask you the question, what must you do to inherit their inheritance? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) The answer is nothing. Um, what must they do? They must die. (laughs) Okay. So already there's something, there's something funny going on in the question. Okay. And um, I know you're perplexed about this. So uh, the, the answer to the question is what 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 must you do to inherit your your family's estate? Well, if you were to murder them, <laughs> uh, you, for real. Um, so the answer to the question is nothing. Wait for them to die. Wait for them to gift it to you through their death, right? Because that's what an inheritance is. It's a gift. It doesn't depend upon you it depends upon the gracious person giving it to you and so here we've got an expert in the law asking a question about a gift in a law fashion but you have to be in the will yeah yeah you got to be in the will yeah yes john yeah we 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 presuppose that in our hypothetical okay (laughs) okay so already so steve already there's something funny going on in the question and that is is that this expert in the law who is thinking only about the law is thinking about a gift an inheritance as something that he has to earn or do something about so already he's confusing law and gospel and in this particular case watch what jesus does he's not going to give him the gospel he's going to give him the law okay um i how did i hear this recently um, we preach the law to make the comfortable uncomfortable, okay? And we preach the gospel to comfort the uncomfortable, okay? And Jesus understands this better than any of us. So and Jesus, so already, so Jesus asks him, well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Okay. The guy answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, you've answered correctly. He said, do this and you will live. Now, is this teaching works righteousness? Is Jesus saying, if you want to be saved, you have to do these things? Okay. Okay. What's really going on right here? The problem is already there's a problem in the question. An inheritance is a gift, and this guy wants to know what he has to do to earn the gift. 
He doesn't see salvation as a gift. He sees it as something that he has to earn. So Jesus asks him about the law, and then he cranks it up. Well, then do this, and you will live. And the guy, the next verse kind of tips the hat as to what's going on here. It says, but the guy wanted to justify himself. So he asked, who is my neighbor? So that's the problem. The guy wanted to justify himself. And Jesus has made it clear in other passages that he didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. Salvation is a gift. It's not something that you earn. Now, technically, you could earn your salvation. Okay? Here's the the fine print, though. You have to keep the law perfectly from the moment you're conceived until the moment of your dying, last dying breath. Do the law and you will live. Uh-huh. So that's not, Jesus isn't blessing him and saying, oh, you're, you're almost there. Keep trying. He's saying, he's telling him to do the law and you'll live as a means of rebuking him to make him realize he's not keeping it. And then we learn that the guy wants to justify himself. Okay. So coming back to Stephen's questions, he says, Jesus goes on to answer the neighbor question by, with the illustration of the good Samaritan, but uh, verse 28 has me stuck. Okay. No faith in him, no believing on his name. I mean, I realize Jesus didn't always use the same word, uh, word for word prescription for salvation, but whatever way, uh, whatever way he explains it elsewhere in the Gospels always still clearly points in uh, one way or another to himself. I'm trying to see why he doesn't do that here. Now, technically, actually, I'm going to stop you there, Steve. He does. Okay. The reason why is that Jesus is basically giving the curse of the law to this guy full strength. We'll do this and you will live. If the guy really understood the weight of his sin, he wouldn't be trying to justify himself. So ultimately, Jesus wants him to see how sinful is so that he will come and trust in Christ. But the law has to do its work. The guy, this guy is an expert in the law. He doesn't understand law and gospel. He thinks he has to keep the law in order to be saved or do things in order to gain a gift. That's what inheritance is. And he's trying to justify himself. So Jesus is challenging this guy's righteousness so that he will look to Christ. You know, and that's the thing. The, the law is the handmaiden of the gospel. It's there to serve the gospel. And that's what Jesus is using the law here to do. Anyway, he says he doesn't, he doesn't do that here. The only thing I can think of is that, it, that he has something to do with the fact that the asker is an expert in the law who asked the question with the intent of testing Jesus. But even so, Jesus knew believers throughout history would read this account. Why didn't Jesus point to himself here as the means of salvation? Okay, this is a verse that you'd think the ecumenicist uh, emergence would be crawling all over because it seems to imply that eternal life can come by law-keeping and social justice. All right, well, funny enough, I've read some emergents who take passages like this and try to say, see, we're saved by our works. You know, and funny enough, uh, the Roman Catholics did that during the time of uh, the Reformation. But the problem is, is that, again, we go with the principle that Scripture interprets Scripture. So when we get to tough passages, you have to bring other passages of Scripture to bear that will help flesh this out. And we learn that no one is saved by keeping the law. We learn this from Romans. And the purpose of the law is to show us our sins. So here Jesus is using the law and cranking it up on this guy so that he ultimately would look to Christ and stop looking to himself. Okay. All right. We're going to take our first break. And uh, when we come back, 
We're going to look at the power of imagining part three. We're going to see about this tithe challenge going on at Tad Grandstaff's church. And uh, and then how does fa- the Christian band Family Force 5, uh, what do they say you need to do in order to be a, become a Christian? Um, that's going to be all kinds of fun. So uh, stay tuned and we will be right back. You can email me regarding anything you've heard at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, and we will be right back. made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a you out there! For to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer! Shut up! Definitely sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no sense, no, there's no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, 
Begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time! I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something! If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way! Just open the Bible and read it! Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. I like this bumper music. I always have. It makes me sound so cutting edge and so cool. <laughs> and I'm not. <laughs> I'm glad you picked something you liked. Really? Yeah, instead of something you didn't like. Why would I pick something I don't like? I don't know. That's, that's, do people do that? I, I don't know. All right, you're confusing me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, welcome back to Fighting for the Faith, and uh, my name is Chris Roseborough. I want to remind you that uh, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, which means that we depend upon you to pay our bills. So here's, here's how this arrangement works. If you feel like you're growing in your understanding of the Bible, Christian faith, how to defend the Christian faith, and are becoming better at discerning r- r- truth versus error, right versus wrong, then we need you to support us. That's how it works. It's it's a mutually beneficial relationship, and you have a couple ways that you can do it. Number one, you can uh, you can go to fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of the donate buttons there. And uh, really, let me tell you, we appreciate any and all, uh, gifts of any and all sizes. Or you can write a check if you're a traditionalist like me and you like to have that paper trail. You can write a check for Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box seven nine one SJC California. Nine two six nine three. Now, th- this is the other part. We every month we uh, at Pirate Christian Radio, we have a featured book of the month. And I got to warn you ahead of time: this book that I'm featuring, if you're not a Lutheran, don't be put off by the fact that it's a it's an overtly Lutheran book. There's going to be some things in there that might challenge you in the sense that, wow, those Lutherans are kind of crazy people. But the reason I'm promoting this particular book is because. Lutherans have been charged with this uh, really being weak on sanctification, and we're not. But a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their heads around where it is that we're coming from when it comes to where do good works play into somebody who's saved by faith. You know, it's not enough that Martin Luther uh, said that, uh, you know, that just as heat and light flow from a flame, so works should flow from from true saving faith. That's just not enough, right? (laughs) Well, Matt Harrison, who is uh, this this gentleman, uh, he's the director of LCMS World Relief. And so this guy, he's out on the front lines when it comes to fighting poverty and AIDS and, and really missions of mercy as it pertains to the gospel. And the one thing I love about this book is that it, it really helps set a context for good works, reaching the poor and the needy, not just across the world, but even in your own neighborhood. And the context for it is the gospel. 
not somebody browbeating you saying, why aren't you giving to the poor? Why aren't you being, you know, that. You ever have somebody slap you upside the head like that? And with that, maybe they don't use that tone of voice. But believe me when I tell you, this book rocks because when I got done finishing reading it, I'm thinking I don't do nearly enough. And it makes me want to do more, not because I have to, but because I get to, because that's what I am in Christ. It's really, 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 really really Christ-centered sanctification, and it's just an excellent resource. And it's available at piratechristianradio.com in the month of February. uh, You can see it on the homepage. All you have to do is go to piratechristianradio.com, click on the homepage. And this is a traditional book. This is not an e-book, which means that uh, we're going to be sending it to you. And uh, and what you would do is if you want to purchase it, click on the the cover there for uh, Christ Have Mercy. And it's fourteen dollars and ninety nine cents plus two dollars and forty nine cents shipping and handling. So it's you know it, it, there's a little bit of a combination of things there. But I want to read to you just a little bit from this book because it's that good. The, I mean, chapter three just rocked. It's just so good. Anyway, <clears throat> chapter three is called Mercy Incarnate. I want to read a little bit for, uh, from you. He starts off by quoting Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, and then he quotes from Martin Luther. Let me read this. He says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's from Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Now he quotes Luther. He says, Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ left us a commandment which applies equally to all Christians. Namely, that we are to render the works of mercy to those who are afflicted and in a state of calamity, and we are to visit the sick, try to free the captives, and do similar things for our neighbor, so that the evils of the present may be somewhat lessened. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself gave us the brightest examples of this commandment when he descended from the bosom of the Father into our misery, into our prison, that is, into our flesh and our most wretched life, and took upon himself the penalty for our sins so that we might be saved. That's a great quote. Now, let me continue reading. Compassion is a visceral business, Matt Harrison writes. In Christ, compassion means action because of who he is. In Christ, God acted and acts for the temporal and eternal blessing of the world. When we are in Christ, we can do nothing other than act for the well-being of others. Follow your gut. Well, not in determining matters of the Christian faith and life, or at least not until your gut feeling has been thoroughly informed by and subjected to the word of God. However, we all would do well to follow Christ's gut. Jesus Christ is the embodied, incarnate, and fleshed mercy of God. Because of who he is, he acted mercifully in time, took on our flesh, and bore our sin to death on a wretched cross in the supreme act of mercy. Because Christ is who he is, mercy incarnate, he does what he does. He mercifully saves, and he makes us after his own image, merciful people. When a person or a congregation rejects mercy, the individual or congregation is rejecting Christ. It is that simple. It is that radical. Jesus tells us, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. That's Matthew 25, 45. And according to Martin Luther, these words of Christ bind each of us to the other. No one may forsake his neighbor when he is in trouble. Mercy is about the incarnation of Christ. 
splognon, that's a Greek word, by the way, has to do has to be one of the all-time great Greek words in the New Testament. You will not find more incarnational, enfleshed talk about Christ than in this word. I am convinced the word is an example of New Testament onomatopoeia. That is a word that sounds like what it de- denotes. Repeat splognon a few times at, at a low decibel. Smile inverted and lips pursed and you will know what it means even without Greek 101. As you repeat the words, splognon, you can almost imagine a pagan priest moving these organs from a sacrificial animal and casting them on a surface to be divined or to predict the future. Say the word and you are back in Old Testament times watching the priest removing the bowels of the sacrificial animal and casting them aside, splat, to be burned or hauled out of the city. Splognon sounds like a verbal splat. You can all but hear the word used in this most base and concrete meaning in Acts chapter 1 verse 18. Falling headlong, Judas burst open in the middle and all of his bowels, his splognon, gushed out. In ancient pre-Christian usage, the Greek word splognon denoted inward parts of a sacrifice such as the liver, lungs, and the spleen. It also denoted the lower half of the body, the womb or the loins. In a more figurative usage, for the obvious reasons, the word meant the seat of impulsive passions. In pre-Christian use, splognon is never used for mercy. In the Septuagint, the Greek edition of the Old Testament, circa 100 BC, splognon began its journey toward its significant and sacred use in the Gospels. See, for example, Proverbs 17.5, to be merciful, particularly in association with Jesus and his actions. Study the word splognon in reference to Jesus reveals something extraordinary about our Savior's compassion. For Jesus, compassion is literally visceral. The verb is used 11 times in the Gospels. Seven times the verb appears as an action attributed to Jesus. Twice the verb is used as an action attributed to characters in parables told by Jesus. And given the original uh, and development of the use of the word, we might think that in the Gospels it came to mean simply to have compassion or to have mercy. It does. However, each time splognon occurs as a conviction or sentiment, or emotion in Christ, or of characters and parables. There is consequent merciful action. Compassion begets action. Mercy makes something happen. For Jesus, splognizomai, the verb form of splognon, is always compassion giving birth to action. Take a look at the following. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. When Jesus saw the crowds... He had compassion, splagnizamai, for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then there's action. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Here's Jesus' compassion again in Matthew fourteen thirteen through 21. When Jesus went ashore, he had he saw a great crowd, and he had splognizomai, compassion on them, and this led to action. Jesus healed their sick, and when evening came, the disciples wanted Jesus to send the people to buy food. He replied, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. The disciples answered that they only had five loaves of bread and two fish, but then Jesus said, bring them here to me. 
Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Here's a... Here's Jesus having compassion again. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, out of splognizomai for him, it led to this action. The master of that servant released him and forgave him of his debt. These are just great passages he's quoting out here. And he goes on to cite 11 different times in the Gospels where this Jesus's compassion, this splog needs am I that he have had leads to action. And he asked this, why is Jesus's compassion invariably followed by action? Jesus's compassion results in action because of who he is. There is one other use of splognon in the gospels. It's the song of Zechariah. And you, child John the Baptist, will be called prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender splognon, mercy of God. The splognon, the compassion of God the Father, results in the sending of John, followed by the sending of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ is the splognon eleus, the compassionate mercy, literally the bowels of divine mercy of God, incarnate according to Zechariah. As we might expect of Trinitarian theology, splognon is used of God the Father, that's in Luke 15.20, God the Son, Luke 10.33, and of God the Holy Spirit, Philippians 2.1. We know God has God is merciful only in Christ and his work. Luther writes in his large catechism, there was no counsel, help, or comfort until this only an eternal Son of God and his immeasurable goodness had compassion on our misery and wretchedness, and he came from heaven to help us. That's just a sample of this book. And each of these chapters is just loaded like this. Our good works flowing from the gospel, from the God who had mercy on us and acted on our behalf by becoming flesh and dying on the cross for us, to where we get to be ambassadors of Christ's mercy, literally going out and and in fleshing His mercy in in the acts of kindness that we do towards others. It's, it's this book is inspiring, just absolutely inspiring. Loved it, highly recommend it. And that's uh, the uh, book of the month for this. That's a sample of the book of the month for uh, Pirate Christian Radio. John, you had a question? No, no. This this sounds like a good uh, purpose driven life book. <laughs> No, it's really well, not. Well, I like the title of it. Christ have mercy. How to put your faith into action instead of what am I here? What, what am, am I, I here, here for? for? Right. It, it, I would. Yeah. See, I can't recommend the purpose driven life. I mean, that book just mangles the scriptures. Oh. This is just dripping with Christ crucified for our sins, and its use of scriptures is stellar. Matt Harrison. Oh man. Wow. That's all I can say. So that's just a sample. Just a sample. It's oh, so good. All right. We're going to change gears here. We're, we're going to go from the, the sublime to the terrible, I guess. Um, talking about uh, mercy here, um, got, a, got a news story that I've got to uh, read. And um, let, me, let me pull up my, my, my vintage news music just yeah. for John. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Although this is not a happy story. Oh. Uh-uh. Sri Lankan churches may think twice before helping the poor. Just counteract what... This is the exact opposite of what we were just reading. Um, 
this is from the Christian Post. Headline uh, subhead reads, uh, churches and Christian organizations are worried that they will have to be more careful when they help the poor if an anti-conversion law is passed next month by the Parliament of Sri Lanka. Um, this is uh, from the Christian Post dated January 30th, 2009. Who's the, who's the writer of this article? Written by Ethan Cole, who's a Christian Post record, reporter. He says, churches and Christian organizations are worried that they will have to be more careful when they help the poor if an anti-conversion law is passed next month by the Parliament of Sri Lanka. A standing committee approved the draft bill uh, for the prohibition of forcible conversions in early January with a few minor amendments paving the way for Parliament to take a final vote in February, according to religious persecution watchdog group. Compass- Anti-conversion bill is passed. Any act to convert or attempt to convert a person from one religion to another by the use of force, fraud, or allurement. Allurement really is, is vague will result in serious punishments, and those found guilty of breaking the law can be imprisoned for up to seven years and and or fined up to 500,000 rupees, which is $4,425. That's the equivalent in U.S. dollars. The equivalent of about three years' wages for the average person in Sri Lanka. So the country's Christian community has strongly objected to the draft bill, arguing that the legislation will be abused to bring false charges against people of faith and to restrict the freedom of religion. Quote, it is our gravest concern that this bill will grant legal sanction for the harassment of religious communities or individuals and offer convenient tools of harassment for setting personal disputes and grudges totally unrelated to acts alleged forced conversion. Read a recent statement by the National Christian Evangelical Alliance of Sri Lanka. So we need to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka and pray that this this anti-conversion law... Is it, is the, that would prohibit conversions is, is you know you can't you can't use allurement to convert somebody from one religion to another. Pray that this is this doesn't go into effect because who who ultimately will hurt is is really the poor if you think about it because one of the things that the Christians do in in third world nations around the world is uh, is mercy missions and if yeah. we can give you a sandwich but we can't tell you it's from Jesus. Yeah, that's got to be great. Anyway, so keep keep our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka in your prayers. Okay, let's see here. Um, we'll do the easy one first. A Tad Grandstaff, Pine Ridge Church. Uh, we we've reviewed one of his Christmas sermons. Tad Grandstaff, and this is the guy who's doing the bringing sexy back sermon series. Because and he's not a licensed um, uh, he's not a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's not a licensed sex therapist, and yet he's doing a sermon series on bringing sexy back. <sighs> yeah, what is? Why is it that these Christian churches, these these purpose driven, seeker sensitive churches, are so obsessed with the topic of sex? You know, um, somebody sent me an email. I haven't put this in the Museum of Idolatry. There's a there's a church in Palm Beach, Florida, that's uh, doing. It's crazy. It, they're. Um, Let's see if I can find this real quick. They're doing a sermon series called Stripped Naked. Oh, Sex Sells. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> they're not really concerned about the sex issue. They just want, they know that sex sells and that's how they're going to get people to go to church. I agree with you. That's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why did I not figure that out? Anyway. So, uh, Tad Grandstaff has this post on his website. It's the Tithe Challenge. Apparently, uh, the. The bad economy is impacting Pine Ridge Church. Couldn't possibly be his sermons 
or his lack of scripture and him preaching his own dreams and visions as if they're the word of God. That has nothing to do with it. <clears throat> Here's what the, the tithe challenge says over Pine Ridge Church's uh, website. The word tithe is derived from the Hebrew word uh, ma'aser, and it literally means a tenth. In Malachi three ten through 11, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The storehouse is the Old Testament picture of the New Testament church. Uh, no, it's not. Um, so as the New Testament believers, we worship the Lord with a tithe or 10%. Law. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but uh, we give as, as God has given us to give. Anyway, giving away 10% of your income can be a big and often frightening commitment. That's why we've created the 60-Day Tithing Challenge, a money-back guarantee of sorts. Essentially, it's a contract based on the promises of God in Malachi 3, 10 through 11. Old Testament law. Uh We commit to you that if you tithe for 60 days and God doesn't hold true to his promises of blessings, we will refund 100% of your tithe, no questions asked. God doesn't need our money because he owns everything. However, we give first because it takes faith to give first, and God wants us to trust him. Trust? Is it trust or obedience? A little mixing of metaphors there. He tells us in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, to honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and we give first and the blessings of God follow. Why is it that he's assuming that his church represents something that God would want people to give money to? Because he doesn't preach the word, right? He preaches self-help sermons and his own dreams and visions as if they're from the word of, as if they're the word of God, right? <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> terms... The, there's some fine print to this uh, 60-day tithe challenge. I understand that this form must be completed and received by Pine Ridge Church finance team prior to the beginning of the 60-day tithe challenge, period. Uh, I understand that my household qualifies for participation because we have not been tithing for the last six months. And I understand that if I choose to begin giving to Pine Ridge Church that my tithe must be paid by check, completed giving uh, completed giving envelope when using cash or uh, by giving online. This is to ensure that your tithe can be properly credited. Understand that I cannot seek a refund prior to the end of the 60-day tithe challenge and that I cannot seek a refund for any contributions made prior to the beginning of the 60-day tithe challenge, period. I understand that any request for a refund must be received by the finance team within 30 days of the end of the tithe challenge period and i agree that for 60 day for a 60 day period i state below my household will contribute to god through pine ridges church a tithe equal to 10 percent of our income at the end of the 60 day uh period if i am not convinced of god's faithfulness to bless my life as a result of my obedience to his word then i will be entitled to a request of refund of the full amount of the contributions made during the 60 day period I would like to test God's faithfulness by accepting the 60-day tithe challenge. Click here to take the tithe challenge. Sounds like their offering should have a warning on it. Yeah, on, no kidding. On the bottom of their offering blade. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I... Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Disclaimer yeah. On, the, on the offering. <laughs> so if God doesn't bless you, then you can get your money back. Oh. Is the reason why we give is to receive a blessing? I don't. Uh, anyway, what do you guys think? I mean, I, I'm pretty disgusted by it, but I mean, I could be wrong, right? I mean, all Christians must, if you if you don't tithe, then you're not truly a Christian, right? 
Isn't that isn't that what the Bible says? Not a good Mormon either. No. <laughs> you see, see, I phrase it that way as a question just to kind of sh- shock people to think for a second. So if you don't tie, then – and it has to be that legalistic 10%, then God won't bless you. Okay? And you're not really a Christian. This, you know, I, you know, this just I interpret this as this guy's got some serious financial problems with his church and paying his bills, and he's come up with a gimmick, and uh, he's setting himself up for failure here. Because I'll be blunt, if I, if if I were in his church and they hung this out there, I'd go, you know what, I'm just going to do this tithe challenge, and then I will ask for the money back. You know, just to dig him. You know, anyway, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that's what I need to do in order to raise money for fighting for the faith. You know, do the sixty-day fighting for the faith. God bless you challenge. Jeez. Ah. All right, we're gonna take our second break, and when we come back. We're going to uh, listen to. We're gonna read uh, uh, an email from Family Force Five, a Christian rock band, on how to become a Christian. We're gonna learn about the power of imagining. And we're also going to hear from Joel Osteen on how to increase your capacity to receive. See, because if you're if you're getting a little bit from God right now, God isn't really richly blessing you, then it's probably because you don't have a big enough bucket. You, you might have a small tin cup or something like that. So <laughs> stay tuned because this is just going to be all kinds of fun because um, <laughs> it's always great to hear from Joel Osteen. Um, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far today on Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com and uh, we'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at newreformationpress.com. 
or the big picture audio presentation, Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. We are back, and you are listening to Fighting for the Faith. Just a heads up, tomorrow we'll pick up back in the Gospel of Mark. I kind of preempted it with uh, the Matt Harrison stuff. Ay, ay, ay. It's just a great book. Inspiring. And we were talking about this in the break. I mean, it's not finding my purpose. It's how to put my faith into action. Completely different thing. It's not legalistic. It's, you know, oh. So good, so good, so good. Oh, yeah, yeah, inspiring. Okay, um, Family Force 5, if you're not familiar with them, they happen to be a very popular Christian uh, rock band. And uh, somebody recently sent them an email and published the email on the Internet on how do you become a Christian? Simple, basic question. How do you become a, how do you become a Christian? Okay, this was the email they got back from, let me see, uh, Okay, so the person writes, he says, I went on to Family Force 5's MySpace account um, a little while back after attending Christian Music Day at Carowinds in North Carolina a few months ago. I asked the band on their MySpace page, how does one become a Christian? And here is what Chapstick, apparently (laughs) one (laughs) one of the names of the band members is Chapstick. Did he get permission to use that name? Well, he spells it differently. It's oh, okay. C-H-A-P-S-T-I-Q-U-E. Okay. Uh, one of the band members told me, okay, so this is this is, uh, this is is what Chapstick... What, how do you take someone seriously if they call themselves Chapstick? Do you know my wife has a Chapstick addiction? Yeah. I shouldn't be sharing this on the air, but it's true. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that there needs to be some kind of a Celebrate Recovery program for people who are addicted to Chapstick. <laughs> I, I think you did share this a couple months ago. Yeah, it's it's. I'm telling you, she's got <laughs> stashes of chapstick all throughout the house, and you know, and from time to time you'll hear her go, "Ah, I need a swipe, I need a swipe," <laughs> and she and, and and you know, I I it's they're like hidden behind little little. Little curios, you know, in 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 you know, in the house, or there's a stash in the pantry, and there's some in there's some in you know next to her bed to the bed, and and you know, there, I think there's emergency chapsticks hidden somewhere with a little glass that you know says in case of emergency break this, and you know, and, and you can get a swipe. Are you going to get in trouble for this? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Chapstick, one of the band members, writes, Thanks for the cool question. The answer is easy yet difficult. Here's the easy and true answer. Love. If you want to become a Christian, love. The best way to experience the message of Christ is by loving those in need, caring for others, and being selfless. Already, do you have a problem with this answer yet? Law. It's law. Because what is the law? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. And you can't do that. Nope. Following the teachings of Jesus Christ is a beautiful and life-changing experience, and I hope it's something that interests you. I'm not sure what your spiritual background is or how you feel about Christianity, so I apologize if if this is repetitive or old to you. 
So the answer, how do you become a Christian? You just love. That's actually the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the truth is that there's no formula for spiritual enlightenment. There is no path, five-step process, or secret. It's like a relationship. You can't teach a person how to fall in love with another. It happens differently for everybody. However, in the end, it's worth it. Some important elements that you should keep in mind are always question and seek growth. You will hear a lot of different messages uh, from Christians and let your faith grow and change. Nobody will ever have all the answers one of the most embarrassing things Christianity has done is it often pretends to claim 100% knowledge of God and the universe, and we are humans and will never be all-knowing. That's the beauty of God. It's incredible if you can get involved in some type of church community or Bible study that challenges you and welcomes you. And if you're interested, check out uh, one or two of, of these books, Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell. Anything Written by Marcus Borg, The Secret Message of Jesus by Brian McLaren, or The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne, and much more. Uh, did you notice that the gospel was completely missing there? Um, he just asks you to do something you can't. Right. So just love. You want to become a Christian? Just fall in love with Jesus. And that's a really quirky way of saying it that just make me, makes me go, uh-huh. I'm sorry, Jesus is not my girlfriend, okay, and nor is he my wife, and I'm not interested in that kind of love when it comes to Jesus Christ. I don't go after bearded dudes. (sighs) Man. So Chapstick apparently doesn't even know what the gospel is, and given just a a simple softball question that any Christian should be able to answer, um, they didn't. So what's the answer to the question? How do you become a Christian? You can hear people going, well, uh, you uh, pray to receive Jesus in your heart. Where does it say that in Scripture? It doesn't. So what do we do? We preach the law to convict people of their sins. You want to become a Christian? Let me tell you the bad news. You, basically, you proclaim good news and bad news. Bad news first. Okay? If I were Chapstick, if, if I, first of all, I would never go with a name by the name of Chapstick. Broken nose, maybe. <laughs> um, Rose Rose Garden I don't know Any of those names I might go by But Chapstick, no um, So if somebody were to write me this question I would basically say Let's, let's just, Let me give you a basic brush Over the battlefield here Basic brush goes like this Here's the deal All of us are sinful Every single one of us We don't love God We don't fear God We don't trust God We don't obey God And God has every right to say to all of us, to hell with you. That's what we've earned, and that's what we deserve. And if you really want to get the full picture of just how bad our condition is and just how sinful and wretched we are, read the Ten Commandments and be honest with yourself. How are you doing at keeping them? And the reality is is that your sins are so wicked and evil that in Acts chapter 3, when Peter preaches, you killed the author of life, that that actually applies to you. It applies to me. We killed the author of life. We denied him. But here's the good news. Jesus' death on the cross did something fantastic did something outrageous, did something almost too good to be true. In fact, 
if you really understand just how good this good news is, it's scandalous. Jesus Christ, who was a perfect man and God in human flesh, he was on the cross dying for all of our sins. Dying for them. He literally was atoning for them. Paying the debt that we couldn't pay to God. Making the sacrifice that we can't make. And by his death, all of our sins are forgiven, atoned for, and God is offering us a free and complete pardon. Repent, therefore, of your sins and trust in Christ in this good news, and you will be saved. Or you can give the really, 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 really short synopsis of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If in a pinch, go with a short one. <laughs> but if you really want to give some details, give the details. Give the bad news and give the good news. And uh, this love stuff, good luck. I hope that Chapstick can love God enough to get into heaven. Oy, oy, oy. Why? Why? Are there no <laughs> doctrine checkers in so-called Christian music circles? You know, if we're going to be selling Christian music, shouldn't we be checking to see if the people claiming that the music is Christian is they understand what Christianity is? I mean, this is Rome and this is this is legalism. Love. I, I want to fall in love with Jesus and the simple answer is to love. Well, that's the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the synopsis of the law. Good luck. Have fun. Try to keep it. Problem is you don't. <laughs> or as Jesus said to that guy who wanted to justify himself, well, do this and you'll live. But you don't do it, do you? Mm, no, you don't. And equally as disturbing was uh, this devotional that appeared at the Christian Post this morning, written by, uh, where's this guy's name? Richard Innes. Um, the name of the segment is called the daily encounter see if you can find the heresy in this statement this is a christian devotional published by the christian post which was supposed to this is devotional reading uh here we go uh quoting from hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 we read without faith it's impossible to please god because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him stop so far so good right okay john real quick Based on just that simple reading of Hebrews eleven six, what do you think that verse is? It means. What do you think the Holy Spirit was trying to convey to us? It says, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God." Okay, real quick. I mean, faith in what? Christ. Okay, himself. so so faith in Christ, right? Yes. Trusting, believing in Him for our salvation, right? That's correct. Okay, so so by faith we're justified, as as Romans says. Okay, we're justified by faith. By the way justified the greek word there dikaio literally means that you're declared righteous okay so by faith we are declared righteous in in christ right you think that's what this is talking about i don't know well you uh, see the, the my tone of voice makes you not so <laughs> sure okay think about it for a second hebrews eleven six is talking about without faith it's impossible to please god right correct okay so in context from other passages of scripture, plus we can read more of 11, uh, Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith passage. Um, without faith, it's impossible to please God because who anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
Okay. So you think this is about faith in Christ. That's what you would think. All right. Okay. Now, moving to the opening paragraph of this devotional after the reading of that verse written by Richard Innes. Faith is seeing what God wants us to do. And visualizing this adds wings to our faith. It is picturing in our mind's eye what we believe God wants us to do, besides helping us to achieve what seems an impossible thing for us to do. And to help in the healing process, it can also help in the following ways. Do you have any problem with this so far? Faith is seeing what God wants us to do. Is there a single passage of scripture that says that faith is seeing what God wants us to do? And this verse doesn't say it. Hebrews eleven six doesn't say that at all. Well, let me continue. Imagining we can achieve our imagining can help us achieve our goals. When I first went to the city where I started the work of Axe International, that's the name of his organization, I was with another organization and was told by a key church leader who happened to be a member of our board of directors and who had considered control that I'd better realize right from the start that I wouldn't be able to do anything in the city because there wasn't enough money here. Amazing. This was the exact image this leader had in, in his mind, and undoubtedly that influenced other board members and was why that organization had very little income, even though they had been in operation for 20 years. I ended up moving out of this organization to commence the work of Axe International. I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I never believed God called anyone to do anything that couldn't be done. At the time, I'd never heard of the term imagining. But I began to formulate and write down specific goals and then see them as achieved, imagined them as achieved. And then, with God's help and guidance, I went to work to make it happen. From a standpoint where there was an image or vision or not being able to do anything, a new image not only reached out across South Australia where we began, but to all of Australia and then to New Zealand and then to North America. And now via email to the Internet, it's reaching out around the world. The way we see an image, what we want to see achieved, makes all the difference in the world. In many ways, what we see is what we get. Imagining can change your life. Regardless of your present circumstances, feelings, or background, you too can change your life. You can do this by changing your self-image and by imagining what you want to become and do with your life. you have any problems with this? Yeah. <laughs> you should. You want to know why you should have problems with this? Do you know what this is? Law. Well, it's it's actually a little bit more slippier than that. Yes, it is law. Okay. But this is uh, a new age technique called creative visualization. Did you know that? Um, You visualize, you imagine what you want to be and see yourself as achieving that or it being accomplished, and then it's like the secret. You ever, you ever heard of the secret, the book called The Secret, you know, the, the Law of Attraction? This is all that same kind of New Age stuff, okay? You see it, you attract it, you, you confess it, it's positive, you positively confess something, and then God has to act and make it, make it reality. Mm. This is New Age creative visualization in the form of some kind of a devotional writing that appeared at the Christian Post. I, wouldn't, I would not recommend my worst enemy to read this and believe it 
The reason why is because even my worst enemy, I love him too much to want them to go to hell. Okay? Yet, the power of imagining... Um, it, it, it defines faith as faith is visualizing what God wants you to do. No, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of we, what we do not see. It's trusting in Christ for our salvation. It's not visualizing what God wants me to do. Sounds like just the opposite. It's visualizing what you want God to do for you. Yeah, exactly. That's the slippery part. <laughs> really, uh, this is about... so. So here we – this appeared in today's – actually, February 1st, uh, yesterday's edition of the Christian Post. New Age Creative Visualization Techniques Under the Guise of Christian Devotional Reading. I'll put a link to it up at Fighting for the Faith. And uh, by the way, the Christian Post allows you to actually respond. You can actually leave comments. And um, I just might be doing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I ran this by a couple of friends of mine and said, am I seeing this right? I want to make sure that, that I'm seeing that this sounds to me like New Age creative visualization. And one of my friends, she actually has quite a bit of knowledge about the New Age. And she said, absolutely, that's New Age creative visualization. And so apparently now the Christian Post doesn't even have enough discernment that they're now offering New Age creative visualization and Im- imagining as somehow – something that we should all be doing. Isn't that lovely? (laughs) Throw those into the round file because that's where they belong. All right, folks. uh, I know that you've been waiting for this. I know that you're excited about this. It's been a while since we've reviewed a Joel Osteen sermon. And folks, this couldn't have come at a better time. There's a reason why it's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm afraid. And it's not because there hasn't been one. Worthy of reading. No, there's been plenty. It's because every time I play a Joel Osteen sermon, that smarmy, snake-like, uh, I, I, I might blow a gasket. <laughs> okay, I listen. The economy is 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 down. I mean, we the U.S. economy shrank by almost what four percent in the last quarter. Things couldn't be worse. I mean, you've got you've got hundreds of thousands of Americans, maybe even more than a million now, out of work. You know, the economy is in the toilet, and you know we we need we need a message from God. We need to hear that God is going to uh, rain down money from heaven. <laughs> <sighs> so now we. <laughs> I'm so sorry. This is really a bad sermon. It's called Increasing Your Capacity to Receive, and it's um, from Joel Osteen's ministry there in Houston, Texas. Uh, let's chime in. As a thank you for your support of Hang our on ministry a second. I, this I, month. I can't play that part. <laughs> let's fast forward a little bit here. More information on Joel Osteen. Hang on, I got to get this this opening here. Information on Joel Osteen Ministries. Visit. No, no, we won't do that. No, no, no. I'll take this out from the podcast episode. (laughs) Discover the champion in you. Uh, Did I appropriately torture that? I I can't stand that song. Discover the champion in you. If he were to actually preach the real word of God, discover the sinner in you, <laughs> it, it would have to be that. It would discover the sinner in you, and you know, and Jesus would have to be the overcomer and the conqueror instead of you, right? You can preach an entire sermon against that. 
Well, God bless you. It is always a joy to come into your homes. We love you. And if you're ever in our area, I hope you'll stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you we'll have a lot of fun. Plus, we'll make you feel right at home. But thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for coming out. And I like to start with something funny. And I heard about this airplane that was about to crash. And there were four passengers, but only three parachutes. The first passenger said, I'm a leading heart surgeon. My patients need me. He took the first parachute and jumped. The second passenger said, I'm a rocket scientist and one of the smartest men alive. My country needs me. He took the second parachute and jumped. The third passenger was Pope John Paul. He said to the fourth passenger, a 10-year-old Boy Scout, Son, I'm old and frail. I don't have much time left. You take the last parachute. The Boy Scout said, Don't worry about it, sir. There are still two parachutes left. The smartest man alive, he just jumped out with my backpack. (laughs) All right, hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about increasing your capacity to receive. God has all kinds of great things in store for you. Thank the Lord. Finally, God has great things in store for me. What about those people in Sri Lanka that can't uh, share the, that won't be able to share their faith anymore because they could be arrested if they convert somebody to another religion? You know, that's the thing. When you compare this message to those who are actually dying for the Christian faith, for professing Christ and proclaiming the gospel around the world. Do you think Joel Osteen would be arrested for preaching the sermon? No. <laughs> <laughs> Could you just see him? You know, we're going to march Joel Osteen off in chains because you know what? He he preached about increasing your capacity to receive, and we don't want people doing that. Yeah, there's no offense of the cross in here at all. He has favor in your future like you've never imagined. He's got good breaks, new opportunities. What if you have cancer and you're dying? I mean, there, we have a large enough audience now that there's probably people out there who, literally in our audience, who are not doing well with their health. Okay? Um, what happens when you go and visit the doctor tomorrow and that lump that you were worried about? He says it's malignant. And it's metastasized and you've got six months to live. Is this going to preach to you? The right people. God wants to take you places you've never even dreamed of. But here's the key. God is limited by our capacity to receive. What? What? God's limited. Really? God is... Where? What? God is limited by our capacity to receive? Where is that in the Bible? <laughs> I, yai, I've never run across this passage. Have you? Um, uh, Osti, you have some explaining to do. For instance, if you have a one-gallon bucket, yet I have 50 gallons to give you, the problem is not with the supply. The problem is you don't have the capacity to receive. If you'd get rid of that small container and get something larger, then I could give you more. It's the same principle with God. 
If we think we've reached our limits, we think the economy's too bad, we're going to have a down year, we think we'll never get well, that's what the medical report says, never afford the house that we really want. It's not that God doesn't have the resources. It's not that He doesn't have the ability. The fact is, our container is too small. Oh, we're suffering from stinking thinking. <laughs> I'm serious. Really, where is this in the Bible? See, God has a 50-gallon bucket, and you've only got a one-gallon bucket. You know, I recall passages of Scripture that say something like this, My cup overfloweth. Apparently, if my cup is too small, it'll just get flowing. <laughs> our thinking is limited. We have to enlarge our vision and make room for the new things God wants to do. Our attitude should be, yes, the economy is down, but I know God is still on the throne. I know he still has promotion and increase. Yeah, but he's limited. He already said he's... We, it doesn't matter if God's on the throne. This God's limited, man. I mean, he can't do more than, than I'm prepared to receive. He's, you know, he might be king of kings and lord of lords, and he might be on his glorious throne and might have cherubim chasing around him, singing glory to God in the highest, and, and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But he's really got his hands tied. I mean, he's limited. Already lined up for me. I know his favor surrounds me like a shield. I know wherever I go, goodness and mercy follow me. So I'm believing to have an extraordinary year. When you have that kind of attitude, what are you doing? You're increasing your capacity to receive. And where does it say that in the Bible? <sighs> How is it that this guy has the largest church in America? Oh, I know, I know. The reason why he has the largest church in America is because he's preaching what Americans want to hear. Nothing about sins here. Christ's forgiveness, death on the cross. Did any of that ring a bell? Hello, Joel? Joel, you ever <laughs> actually read the Bible in context there, dude? <sighs> That's when you're going to see God show up and show out in unusual ways. But some people, they go around with a small cup, so to speak. They're not expecting much. They've always struggled. Others have traded in their cup, and they've got a bucket. They're doing okay. They're surviving, but not planning on going much further. Still others, they've traded in the bucket. They've stretched their faith. They've got a barrel. They're believing to rise higher. Yet there's one other group. This group is very unusual. They must have a swimming pool. I mean, <laughs> just follow the container yeah. yeah. These people believe for far and beyond favor. They believe God is going to prosper them even in a recession. They believe their children will be mighty in the land. They're expecting explosive blessings. They know down deep supernatural increase is coming. You know, this sounds a lot like that um, New Age uh, creative visualization, doesn't it? It's the same thing. You just have to increase your vision. You know, stop with the little tin cup theory and you got to go with the Olympic sized swimming pool, you know, and, and you you're, envision your children being mighty in the land and, and you're going to prosper in times of economic downturn. You know who are who, you know the people who are doing really well in this bad economy? Bankruptcy attorneys. <laughs> they are making money hand over fist, dude. Anyway, it's, I mean, it, it's because never mind. So they don't have a cup. 
They don't have a bucket. They don't have a barrel. They've been coming to Lakewood too long. They've got a barn. They've got a whole warehouse. They're expecting God to open the windows of heaven and pour out unprecedented favor, supernatural opportunities, exponential. You see, once you have, once you can figure out how to construct this barn inside of your head or heart, wherever you're supposed to construct it, then God, see, he was just sitting there waiting with his hands tied. And he's going to go, oh, whew, finally, now I can bless you. Man, I, I was over there with my hands tied up, and I couldn't help you at all. I mean, here I had this entire barn with a blessing I was going to give you, but no, I, I was sitting there in, in handcuffs just waiting for you to get a bigger container. What kind of God is this? I'm not familiar with this deity. So increase. says in Psalms, open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. My question is, do you, you know, I used to do that as a kid. You ever do this where you would open your mouth and you put your head back and your, your brother or sister would put whipped cream in your mouth? I've never, never done that. Never done no, that? No, no, that's really fun. It's the whipped cream, you know, like the canned whipped cream. Yeah, yeah. That you, sh- you have to shake it up and then, you know, it was, it was hilarious because what would happen? <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking about this because <laughs> this sermon is absurd, <laughs> but I, we would, my, my brother and I would do this. We would go raid the, you know, the refrigerator and there would be the can of whipped cream and, you know, you'd shake it up and then we would, you know, you put your head back and open out, up your mouth wide and then we'd fill it, fill the person's mouth with whipped cream. And the problem is, is that once it's full, there's no way for them to shut their mouth because if you try to shut your mouth, then you get whipped cream all over your face. It's really a fun trick. You should try it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> But if I had a bigger container. Uh, you're right. Bigger than a mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Open your mouth wide and God will fill it. Um, hang on a second here. I, I've got to do some biblical due diligence. We're going to back up the tape and find out this passage that that uh, Osteen is ripping out of context here. Because I, w- I went with the flippant whipped cream analogy. Anyway, here. They've got a barn. They've got a whole warehouse. They're expecting God to open the windows of heaven. And pour out unprecedented favor, supernatural opportunities, exponential increase. Says in Psalms, open your mouth wide. It just says in Psalms somewhere. He's going to make me look for this. And I bet it's the it's that message paraphrase. Ah, that blasted thing. It's terrible. Um, well, there's only 150 Psalms. It should yeah, be easy. Mouth wide. Hang on a second here. Let's see if I can find it in the Psalms in my ESV. Oh, boy. Nope. Yeah, of course. He he didn't give us the address for that that verse. Open and mouth. Hang on a second here. Oh, boy. Well. Okay, let's see. There is no truth in their mouth. Uh, Psalm 5, 9. Psalm, I am like a deaf man. I do not hear a mute man who does not open his mouth. I am mute, I do not open my mouth. O Lord, open my lips, and, my, and I will declare your praise. Open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark uh, dark sayings from of old. I don't see it. He's, It's out of context, whatever it is. Here we go. And I will fill it. My question is, do you have your mouth open wide? What are you expecting? Whipped cream. <laughs> Back when I was a kid. Well, Joel, I don't think I'll ever meet my sales goals this year with the economy like it is. I don't think I'll ever get promoted. I'm not that qualified. Don't think I'll ever get well. 
The problem is your mouth is barely open. You're not expecting good breaks. That, that's law, isn't it? See, the reason, ultimately, the reason why your sales are down, why you're suffering, why financially you're struggling, is, is it's your fault. You're not a positive thing. You're just there. not positive enough. It's your fault. And if you would just start thinking bigger, you know, quit with this tin cup closed mouth mentality and open up wide and go get yourself a barn. How would where do you find the construction materials for building this barn that God is just waiting to bless and fill? <sighs> You're not expecting increase. You're not expecting God to show up and turn it around. And unfortunately, you won't be disappointed. The scripture says, Jesus said it, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, you know what? That is way out of context. Hang on a second here. Got to find that one. According to your faith. Oh, wow. Okay. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to do this in context. Okay. He just read that out of context verse as if it's some kind of a formula, right? Okay. <sighs> okay. Listen to this. In chapter 9, starting verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And actually, if you want to preach this, this is a great preaching passage because it it, it, it it says they were crying aloud. Um, they were really being obnoxious, okay? And uh, it, I have to turn the volume down, but it, it's, it would have sounded like something like, Have mercy on us, son of David! You know, <laughs> screaming. They were yelling, Have mercy on us, son of David! And when he entered the house, the blind men came in, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Then according to your faith, be it done. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, See to it that no one knows about this. Okay? So, when you read it in context, this isn't some kind of a formula where, according to your faith, it will be done to you. See, and it was, he's just ripped it out of context. It, this was something Jesus was saying to these blind men. Okay? They came to him. They were shouting after him. They... Their faith was already seen in their actions, you know, because they were being obnoxious and trying to get Jesus' attention. They already trusted and had faith in him, okay? Jesus is just affirming the faith that's already there. They're following him into this house, begging him to, to heal him, and he asked, do you believe? They, oh, yeah, we do believe. Right, good, okay? And Joel Osteen has turned this into some kind of a formula. Well, are you, do you have stinking thinking about uh, your sales goals for this year? The economy got you down? Well, according to your faith, it'll be done to you. You better get some better faith. Yikes. He might as well have said, if you've got a cup, I'll fill you with a cup level of blessing. He didn't say that, though, Joel. Let me back it up so you can hear the scripture twist. Oh, I can. Mm, you know, I just love the smell of sulfur in the afternoon. You can, Yep. I, yep. That. Yeah, that's satanic, all right. No, let's continue. I don't think I'll ever get promoted. I'm not that qualified. Don't think I'll ever get well. The problem is your mouth is barely open. You're not expecting good breaks. You're not expecting increase. You're not expecting God to show up and turn it around. And unfortunately, you won't be disappointed. The scripture says, Jesus said it, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. He might as well have said, if you've got a cup, I'll fill you with a cup level of blessing. If you got a bucket, I'll fill you with a bucket level of blessing. 
But he's saying, if you've got a barn, in other words, if you'll... Is that what that passage says? In context, absolutely not. He is lying through his big teeth. And they're really clean white teeth, too. I bet he uses those white strips. Because he's got some nice hair going on. And he's got some big white teeth. Anyway, Joel Osteen is lying here. Absolutely lying. He twisted God's word, turned this passage that he ripped out of context, and said Jesus might as well have been saying, no, he wasn't saying that at all. You know, I mean, let me, let me translate this for you. Chris, you might as well be saying that, that Joel Osteen is preaching doctrines of demons. Yeah, actually, I'm saying that. This is not biblical. This is satanic. Take the limits off of God. If you'll believe for supernatural opportunities, if you'll go out each day expecting far and beyond favor, you won't be disappointed. Psalm 37, 19 says, Take the 60-day tithe challenge. We got to get Tad, Tad Grandstaff hooked up with this Joel Osteen cat, right? Even in famine, the righteous will have more than enough. When you've got your mouth open wide... You're not complaining about the economy. You're expecting to have a supernatural year. You're expecting increase even in the middle of a recession. Your child may be off course, but you're not praying, Oh God, just keep him from driving me crazy. No, you're saying, God, you said my children will be mighty in the land. So I want to thank you. You're not only going to turn him around, but you're going to use him to do something great for you. When you have your mouth open wide... You're not just hoping to make your monthly mortgage payments. You're believing to totally pay your house off, to live totally debt-free. That- wow. And yet Jesus, in the, in, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, if I'm reading, if I'm hearing this guy, right, we shouldn't be praying, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our, our mortgage, not our mortgage payment, but give me the ability to pay off my car and my mortgage. And, uh, Oh, and by the way, fill my barn up with grain and money too, while you're at it, Jesus. Wow. That's barn level living. See your problem, John, my problem. We're just not barn level in our faith and believing and praying. Right. I, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So all these people who've who've lost their jobs for no no fault of their own. No, actually, it's their fault because they oh, they had a small cup. Right, because they had a small. They're cup. not barn level. If they had been barn level, they wouldn't be in the, They wouldn't be struggling in the first place. Didn't have faith enough. Right. It's their own damn fault that they're struggling financially. I mean, that's really how you can translate this. So, so I have to have. I have to provide the faith. You, yeah. Not not, not, not and not not just not just any old faith. It has to be barn level faith. See, I, I always thought I got my faith from Christ. As a gift? Yeah. Oh, you mean you actually believe Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 that says that we are saved by grace through faith, and this faith is not it is a gift from God. It's not of yourselves. You, you believe that? That's the one, yeah. Oh, you're being such a biblical literalist, John. No, I'm serious. This is satanic. I mean, and ultimately the translation here is that if you are struggling financially, it is your own damn fault. And I'm saying it in that strong of language because that's really what this comes down to. It's your own fault. You are the person to blame because you don't have barn-level faith. This is a damnable, damnable heresy. Let me ask you, do you go out each day knowing that favor is already in your future? Or have you gotten stuck in a rut? This is what happened to the people of Israel. They were headed toward the promised land. They had big goals, big dreams. What? 
What is he talking about? I feel like I'm listening to an uncircumcised Philistine here. But along the way, they hit some setbacks, had some disappointments. They got so discouraged, they gave up on their dreams. They were disobeying, they were disobeying God outright, grumbling against God, and, and got even to the point where they had denied that God himself was the one who led them out of Israel, out of Egypt, and worshipped a, an, an idol that they set up, saying this was the God who got them out of Egypt. Does he, has he even read the story of the Exodus? And what a miserable lot these sinners were. I mean, here these are, the children of Israel literally saw God's hand in judgment against the Egyptians and his hand of favor protecting them against all of the plagues of Egypt. And they didn't have their firstborn sons killed by the angel of death on the eve of the Passover. God blessed them and they looted Egypt. When they left, they saw God part the Red Sea. They saw God's presence go before them as, as, a, as, a, as a pillar of fire and smoke and cloud. They witnessed, and what did they do? They got out of there and they grumbled and disobeyed God. If that doesn't show you the wickedness of humanity, I have no idea what. And he's basically saying that they just had, they had goals and dreams and visions for the future. And they, you know, but they got to grumbling and they kind of got off track. It's completely missing the point. And just settled where they were. One day God said to them, you have dwelt long enough on this mountain. I believe God is saying that to each one of us. You've been where you are long That's an allegorical way of reading the Bible. Long enough. Some of you have held that cup year after year. It's how you were raised. It's all you've ever known. Some of you, at one time, you had your sight set on the barn but you had some setbacks and now you've just settled for that bucket. God is saying, this is a new day. Get your fire back. Where you are is not where you're supposed to stay. And I'm asking you to increase your capacity to receive. And how do we go about doing that, Joel? You're twisting God's word even to make your point up to this point. I can't wait to hear, how am I supposed to increase my capacity to receive? That means you're going to stretch your faith. Where? On the rack? Folks, if you have a faith stretcher, would you send me one, please? I'd like to see what they look like. You're going to start thinking bigger, believing bigger. You're going to go beyond barriers that have held you back. And you're going to make room for God to do something new. I've learned you've got to give God permission to increase you. You've uh, where is that in the Bible? This is crazy. He's just making all of these assertions. Not, but not, ah! You've got to give God permission to prosper you. <laughs> I'm going to just... Uh, you know, I, I recall a story. Um, there's a story, this is an interesting story. We have to give God permission to prosper us. Hogwash. God can do whatever he wants to do. By the way, um, if this were true, I got a question for you, Joel. Um, uh, George Soros, one of the wealthiest men in the world. Um, he's not a Christian. How did he come to be so wealthy? I mean, did he give God permission to bless him? So serious. Yeah. I know lots of wealthy people who aren't Christians. They live in bigger houses than I do. I have a small house. They they drive better cars than I do. 
Although the Pirate Christian Radio Mobile, that's fun to drive. But it's an FJ Cruiser. It's a toy. It's a, it's a you know mid priced car. You know, a small SUV. Uh, but I've you know, I've got neighbors who have BMWs and Mercedes Benzes, and they have bigger. I mean, the, here in San Clemente, I drive by these houses that are up on this cliff. They look like palatial mansions. Okay, there's this gated community called what is it, Marblehead? What's the name of that? Do you not know the name of it? I don't know that one. Uh, the, they they are there be some wealthy people up there, and they don't drive Toyota FJ Cruisers. They drive some pretty nice vehicles. You know, I saw Bentley today going into that neighborhood. Yeah, my neighborhood's Bear Brand, and, and the houses look like apartment buildings. Really? Yeah. You know, you just have a small cup, John. <laughs> anyway, um, so, okay, these people, um, I'm telling you, I know some of them, and they're not Christians. And I can't recall if, as them being non-Christians, that they ever gave God the permission to bless them so. Right? I wonder if they did that tithing thing, too. Makes you wonder. You know you know what it probably is? These non-Christian pagans have learned the secret to wealth. And the secret to wealth is to have – is to give God permission to prosper you even if you don't believe in him. Just give him permission anyway. You know, and, you know, and maybe you can write up some kind of a contract. You know, I agree to uh, give God permission to bless me barned size, please. I would like – I would like to – I don't want to supersize it. I want to barn size it. And uh, and I promise that as a result of this, I'm going to tithe just so that I can get more. They, they probably have signed some kind of a contract, you know, that they've learned the secret of wealth creation, and this is it. God has brought opportunities across my path in years past that I turned down. I thought they were too big. I didn't think I was qualified. It was so far beyond what I thought I could handle. Yeah, like the, uh, the you becoming a pastor of a large church, you're definitely not qualified. I didn't even get in agreement with God and at least release my faith for it. Now I realize I wasn't giving God permission to prosper me. I missed those opportunities to go further. Jesus put it like this. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. Really? Again, completely taken out of context. And if you would read it in context, go to a computerized Bible and look up wine and wineskins. You can find it in... think three of the synoptic gospels jesus mentions that particular reference and it has to do with something that's inappropriate it has to, the context is fasting you know how come uh, you know john the baptist's disciples they fast and the and the disciples of the pharisees they fast how come your disciples don't fast jesus that's the context and jesus says well it's not right for people to mourn at a party or at a wedding you don't put new wine into old wineskins that's not appropriate Okay, this has nothing to do with wealth creation or barn-sized dreams. Read it in context. He was saying, you can't go to a new level with an old way of thinking. Many of you are ready for God to do something new. When you hear this truth, that it's going to be a great year, that God has more in store, something res... Is he channeling Satan? I'm serious. I, 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 this... Folks... I've actually read the Satanic Bible. Now, I understand that many of you would think, wow, that's, whoa, that's terrible, right? You, the Satanic Bible is not about Satan. I've got bad news for you. If you think that the Satanic Bible is full of, like, dark magic and, and human sacrifice and worshiping demons, you would be mistaken. The Satanic Bible is all about you. you Satanism is about youism. Okay? 
this guy, he, I, what I'm hearing here is exactly the same emphasis that I have read in Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. Don't believe me? Go get the book and read it for yourself. Or you can find passages online because Anton LaVey was very outspoken about the fact that Satanism is about you. Resonates on the inside. That's your spirit person coming into agreement with God. What? <laughs> I have a spirit person that can come into agreement with God? Hang on a second here. Let me back this up. Is What? Is this Mormonism? What is this? Be a great year that God has more in store. Something resonates on the inside. That's your spirit person coming into agreement with God. He better not be. Usually he sits on your shoulder, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. There's actually, don't we have two spirit people? Yes. One that wears a pitchfork and a red union suit, and the other one has a, a angel wings and yeah, you know, and a halo. I've seen them. I've, they're all over the movies. That's right. Cartoons. Oh man. But very often, our natural mind will try to talk us out of it. Your mind will tell you it's not going to happen for you. You're See, not- he's describing that, that that scenario, right? Apparently. Satan is now the one trying to talk you out of the big dreams, and your angel spirit person's going, no, no, think big, think barn-like. God wants to bless you, you just have a small cup, get a bigger cup. You're not going to have a great year, you know what the economy's like. Or you're never going to get well, you saw what the medical report says. You're never going to get married, you've been single so long, just accept it. No, get rid of that old wineskin. Trade in that small container for something larger. This is a new season. Yeah, this this is satanic. I'm sorry. You can't twist God's word that badly and it not be from the pit of hell. Sorry. What's happened in the past is over and done. You may have been through some disappointments, tried, failed, it didn't work out. That's okay. God is still in control. Get a new vision for your life. Have the attitude, this is my year to go to a new level. This is my year to be totally healthy. How, how come this, this type of preaching and this emphasis is completely missing from the writings of the New Testament and the Old Testament, too? I mean, could you imagine Jesus preaching this in Nazareth or Capernaum or Galilee? Do you know the Galilean fishermen were ridiculously poverty-stricken people? It was a subsistence living. Okay, there's actually a a few years ago, actually a couple decades ago now, um, see, Galilee had a big, there was a big drought in uh, in Galilee and and in uh, that part of the world. And the Sea of Galilee receded as a result of the fact that there was a lack of water. And what they found is they actually found a fishing boat from the first century. And they were, you know, they they dug it out of the silt, and you know, and they had, they had to move quickly because they, if the had rain had occurred, the, the sea would have came back and covered it back up. And they did basic, you know, analysis on this boat. This thing was patched together. It was like a it was a cobbled together boat, leaky, made from four different woods. You know, lots of patches and repairs, and it basically said these fishermen were poor. Can you imagine Jesus preaching this in Galilee? There's a reason why he didn't, because this is a lie. <sighs> this is my year to meet the person of my dreams. If you open your mouth wide, God said he will fill it. But it starts right here with us, with our capacity to receive. We cannot go around thinking thoughts of mediocrity and expect to excel. We can't think thoughts of defeat and 
barely get by, help me to survive, and at the same time, expect God to fill us with abundance. The two don't go together. Get rid of that cup, trade in that bucket, throw away that barrel, and come over to the barn level. God is a God of abundance. And it says in Psalm 115, the Lord your God will increase you and your family more and more. Hold on. Psalm 115, right? That's, isn't that that long psalm? Hang on a second here. Psalm 115. No. Well. Uh-huh. Well, let's read it in context. I mean, he said Psalm 115. We might as well read it in context, right? The mountains skip like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O hills, like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say there is, where is God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have, they have mouths, but do not speak eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel feet, but they do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throats and those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord has remembered us and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron and he will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase give you increase you 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 and your children and may you be blessed by the lord you who made the heaven and the earth notice anything there though the the blessing comes to those who are in israel those who trust in the lord right um hmm interesting apparently he's kind of left that little part out of it because now this is just content god just wants to bless you but your cup's too small apparently you you need a bigger bucket Increase has always been on God's mind. His dream is that we'd never get stuck at one level. In fact, Jesus said, He came that we might have life to the full. Uh, there we go. John 10, out of context again. In abundance till it overflows. You need to get that on the inside. Here's why I'm headed. Three places to a full life, an abundant life, an overflowing life. And then hell. <laughs> I'm serious. This guy has no idea what the Bible teaches. He has no idea who Jesus Christ is, what he's about, and what he's done. Do, do I need to play anymore, or do we kind of got the whole idea of what this sermon's about? Me, 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 and follow these principles, and God will have to bless you. He's just sitting on the sidelines with his hands ringing, oh, please find a bigger bucket, because I want to give you 50 gallons of blessing, but you only got this tin cup. Oh, man cannot believe that this is what passes off as Christian preaching and where are the where are people out there railing against this and calling it what it is it's a heresy that's not christianity i have no idea what that is actually i do it's satanism and i say that literally it's all about me and that's what satanism's all about me 
It's all about you. You are the most important. You are going to... You, you... Oh, man. <sighs> well, <laughs> I, I can't go on. <laughs> I got to stop. I'm going to blow up if I keep going on. Folks, if um, you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard in today's program, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. And I want to remind you that even though I might have a small tin cup here, and, and I don't expect you know God to give me barn-sized blessings, and, and, and if you do give to us, he won't give you barn-sized blessings either. We need your help, your support. Fighting for the Faith, Post Office Box 791-SJC, California. 92693 or just visit fightingforthefaith.com and click on the donate button. Appreciate that. Lord bless you. Until next time, God bless. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your phone.